Welcome to Show Your Scars with me, Jordan Angeli. Using my experience as a former professional athlete, I will take you inside the journey back from a devastating injury. Although we may not choose for this to happen to us, we appreciate who we become in the process. Now, let's dive into this week's episode as we share our strength and show our scars with pride. Today's podcast review comes from Yaz Mataz, too. She said, I'm 16 and tore my left ACL twice. Halfway through my first recovery, I discovered the ACL club. I would listen to the podcast while relearning to jog on the Alter G. These individuals come from all walks of life, but who have sustained the same injury creates this great sense of community. Knowing that I have gone through this process, feeling the same highs and lows as you makes me feel that though you are never alone. I've really learned on these podcasts while rehabbing my second ACL tear as the mental side is much harder this time around. They have gotten me through some of the worst days. 10 out of 10 would recommend not only for individuals who have suffered ACL tears, but anyone who is struggling with an injury or anything at all. The universal message is clear. We all hurt. We are never alone and we will make it to the other side with a smile. Wow, what a powerful review. And we are so excited about this new thing we're doing, reading a review and giving you a free gift along with it if your review gets chosen. So make sure you go to anywhere that you listen to the podcast, review, subscribe, and then take a screenshot of your review, put it on your Instagram story and tag us at Show Your Scars Podcast. And we will choose someone to be our next review on next week's podcast. So it can be you, just like it was Yasmataz. And we can't wait to hear what you guys say. And just know that when you write a review, you are helping more people see the podcast. And it helps then in turn them feel that strength that you're feeling when you're listening to the podcast. So it's all these little things that we do together that add up. And I'm so excited to be a part of this community because of things like that. So thank you, Yasmataz, for that review. What's up, guys? Excited to bring you a new podcast today and bring you something new. I got connected with Bill via Instagram and just really intrigued because he has such a different story because not a lot of us know very many professional wrestlers, or at least I don't. So I was excited to talk with Bill and get connected with him because I just don't know anything about that world. And if you're anything like me, you get intrigued by those kind of things and you want to know a little bit more. So I had Bill on the podcast and he tells us about growing up, how he got into wrestling, how he adapted his life when the thing that he loved to do in wrestling wasn't an option anymore. And then when he came back and his injury, his recovery and his celebration recently after overcoming a big ACL injury. It's a really interesting story and you even get to hear how he came up with his wrestling name, Eddie Van Glam. It's a great story and I'm so honored to get to talk to him. Here he is, Bill, also known as Eddie Van Glam. Hey Bill, how is it going? Hey, it's going well. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to talk with you and this is my first wrestler on the podcast and I think that we have to go into some backstory here because um, 
how did you start wrestling? Like what brought that up in as something that you wanted to do in your life? So I, I loved professional wrestling since, uh, I want to say I was eight or nine. Um, I remember one day my mom, she took me to a, a drug store. She had to pick up a prescription or something. And she would always tell me that I could pick up one magazine, mm-hmm. you know, for me to read and have fun with. And I, I looked at the, the rack and there was this picture of, uh, then WWF now WWE magazine, mm-hmm. uh, which is also now defunct. Um, and it had Papa Shango on the, on the cover. It was September, 1992 issue of Papa Shango. And I saw it and I was just drawn to it. And I, I asked for this magazine and my mom was like, okay, well, I mean, this is just a phase. He'll, he'll, get, he'll grow out of this. Well, I'm 36 now and I haven't grown out of it. <laughs> so what do you think um, it was about that? What's that? What do you think it was about that magazine or that picture or once you started diving into wrestling that really made you interested in it? So once I, so once I got – I started looking at the magazine. I was looking at all the characters. You know, There was The Undertaker. There was Hulk Hogan, Shawn Michaels, uh, my personal favorite, the Macho Man Randy Savage. Mm. Um, you know, they were these larger-than-life, bright, colorful characters. They were, they were like comic book characters but real-life action stars and uh it was like uh, almost like a comic book come to life and uh i always thought that was so neat and as time went on and i continued on my journey of growing up and whatnot um i i always had wrestling um i watched it every monday night i watched it anytime it was on i talked about it all the time i drove my mother nuts with it I drove my friends nuts with it. I still drive my friends nuts with it. And and one day, um, a friend of mine in Seattle was telling me, hey, do you know there's, there's co-wrestling in Seattle? And I, and I just went, shut up. How did I not know about this? He's like, we should go. And so it was uh, August of 2005, and I went to the seedy little bar and there was a professional wrestling show there. And at the end of the show, I noticed one of the wrestlers standing at the bar. I walked up to him and I said, where do I sign up? You know, it's like, I want in. Wow. Um, and he said, come to this location at this time on Tuesday next week. <laughs> and I showed up and I haven't left since. Oh my gosh, that <laughs> sounds like a movie. Like how that played out right there. Well, fun well, fun fact, um, uh, I hope you're okay with plugging things. Yeah. You can actually find the story of this actual promotion. Um, it was produced by Morgan Spurlock. It's available now on demand. You can also get it on, like, Amazon Prime um, or, like, DVD even. And it's called Body Slam, Revenge of the Banana. <laughs> and it's about the, the name of the promotion. And the name of the promotion is SST. Seattle Semi-Pro. Uh, it has now since changed names. It is now 3-2-1 Battle. And we are probably the hottest show in Seattle, Washington. We perform every other Friday at a little bar uh, gym called uh, Evolve Fitness. So, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I That is amazing. Well, I want to go back a little bit because between – you said that, that first – 
site of wrestling was 92 and you you spoke a little bit about about it about the evolution from then until you went into that bar in 2005 but what happened in between did you play sports were you active like did you actually wrestle like in high school a, a different kind of wrestling but or was it always just you were fixated on that sport so I was always fixated on wrestling. Um, I always tried my hand at sports. Um, I tried football. I was terrible at it. Um, weirdly enough, I did not like the contact uh, <laughs> of it. I didn't like contact sport. I didn't like being hit in football, weirdly enough. Yeah, that's um, ironic, I right? Basket- I, I tried basketball. I enjoyed basketball. I wasn't good enough to even make it onto the JV. So... Uh, it was always just kind of like playing in my in my in my driveway. Yeah. Uh, I you know I I tried soccer. You know it, it was very active. I only did about a year. Like I've always like kind of tried them all. To yeah. See what I liked. Yeah. And, but it was uh, always wrestling. Like I always just. But I always loved wrestling. Like I didn't care about watching football on TV. I didn't care about watching uh, basketball. Um, the only time I really liked going to baseball games is if. Uh, it was like me and five other friends. Right. You know, otherwise, eh. but, uh, that's I really interesting. Wrestling. Yeah. And I love there that. Was no, there was no wrestling team. There was no wrestling team at my high school. I probably would have signed up for it. Would yeah. I have been good? I don't know. Right. But, and it's uh, so, such a different sport. Ironically, ironically, I, I was a drama kid as a result. <laughs> you know what? That <laughs> doesn't like surprise sports, me. So I, I tried out for the drama team and I turned out to be very good at it. Yeah. Well, you know, that, that probably helps you now what you learned and that, um, helps you as you perform. Yeah. Uh, it helps me connect with my audience. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it, uh, has allowed me, uh, for the most part to not work myself to death when wrestling and, uh, being able to slow down and let things register. Mm. Um, you know, accidents happen. ACLs get torn. Mm. Uh, drama class doesn't teach that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's funny how drama uh, and just having a little bit of a sports background, you know, like it, I, I kind of see how uh, they're kind of hand in hand, really. Except oh, the, yeah. somewhere down the line between the part where I fell in love with wrestling. And getting involved, I hated getting hit. But yeah. somewhere along the lines, I said, you know what, screw it, hit me. I think they're so <laughs> involved, you know. Like, for me personally, I was a professional soccer player, but I loved performing. Like, before I wanted to be a pro soccer player, I wanted to be Jim Carrey. Like, Jim Carrey, not just an actress or an actor, I wanted to be, like, a comedian and act and and be that performer where everyone was looking at me. Like I do think there is some part of a lot of athletics that has to do with that performance aspect. Yeah. Um, there's nothing like, uh, I, I think a lot of, um, uh, athletes, they, they will agree that there's nothing like hearing the roar of the crowd mm-hmm. and the rush of the crowd, especially when that adulation is directed at you. So and it's 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 a drug, and, yeah. and it and it can get you through damn near anything. Okay. Well, you you mentioned that you know injuries happen, but I want to go back to that first training. You go, you get the paper from that guy. You show up the next day or a couple of days later at the spot that he told you. What was that like? And um, what was your first uh, experience like? Did you were you in the ring right away, or like what was next? 
So right off the bat, um, it was I was asked to go to um, a place called Washington Hall, and at that time it was a condemned building. Uh, back in its heyday, it's where uh, Billy Holiday would perform oh, uh-huh. and dances, and and many famous blues artists would come through and sing there. And since then, it, it had fallen by the wayside. It had not been kept up to code, and it was condemned to be destroyed. Um, and since then, it's been re- renovated and saved. But um, I was training and sent to the basement of Washington Hall, and it was a concrete floor, and they had these little rubber interlocking mats that you see kind of at uh, like a gym. Those You know those colored interlocking mats that yeah. like, kids would others would play on yeah so that's what it was and it was like like it was like five by six of these square mats um and layered on top of each other maybe like two layers so about an inch worth of foam padding and uh they had me walk out to the center of it and just they said okay you're gonna learn how to bump and they and like i was just fall straight back onto this mat yeah and Underneath is concrete. It, concrete does not bend. It does not give. Oh, um, gosh. And I hit, and it was, uh, it, it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> and I, 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 I did it again, and I did it again, and I did it again, and next you know, they're picking me up, and they're slamming me, and they're suplexing me, and they're throwing me, and I have to land on this mat every time. Boom, boom, boom. Um. And it, it kind of it, like you develop a callus over time. Yeah. Uh, it did not happen that day. Uh, I trained in that in that basement for six months. Wow! Every week for six months, and uh, and then uh, finally they said, and you know, I, I would come to shows and I would help set up and I would help with backstage stuff. And then uh, one day they looked at me uh, when someone was sick, and they and one of the producers says, "You got your gear." And I said, yeah, it's in my car. And he says, go get it. Oh, my gosh. What was that day like? How'd it go? Tell um, us about the what happened. Uh, it was it was surreal because, like, I was just like, okay, you know, like, uh, we had a hot crowd. Um, it was, you know, in, in this really small, secluded little bar. Probably, like, 130 people uh-huh. could fit in it before fire marshal would uh, come screaming. Uh but uh, I remember, like, it was just like any other day setting up the mats and uh, getting ready for the show. And the producer just kind of walked up to me looking a little frazzled and said, did you bring your gear? And I said, yeah. And he says, I need you to go get it. Like, you got a match tonight. And it was just kind of like I felt my stomach drop. Um, it, I, I can only compare it to maybe uh, being the understudy in a, in a show mm-hmm. and – the, the main character <laughs> comes down with the the flu and hopefully you got your lines memorized because you're, you're filling in for him tonight and it's right. a packed house so you know don't screw up this is your shot <laughs> and for you looking back on it in hindsight do you think that that was the best way to get your start or do you feel you know like just kind of going in there and having to perform instead of like thinking about it and feeling like that day was coming and you knew when it was going to come, but that spontaneity of it, do you feel like that added to a really cool story? 
Um, I think it led to a really cool. Uh, yeah, it's like I, I do think it led to a really cool moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't allow me enough time to get inside my head. Yeah, it was like you have a job to do. Right. Um, was I nervous? Was I terrified? Yes. Um, luckily, uh, my opponent was uh, someone who I've worked with and who had trained me in the six months, so I knew I was in good hands. Um, and uh, yeah, like it, it went as well as it could. Like the moment, you know, like we we had our match set, and uh, the moment he he slammed me, I forgot everything. Yeah. Like, but luckily, he was there in my ear, and I had a referee talking to me. I didn't win that night, but uh, I made an impression. Good. It was enough of an impression that they said, okay, well, next month, you're coming back. That's awesome. So that was what year? Uh, That was, oh, let me think here. That was October of 2007. Wow. So you've been wrestling, professional wrestling, since then. Almost well, was, 12 years. So not, not, not quite 12 years. Yeah. Um, uh, it, it, it was one of those kind of on and off things uh-huh. for a while. Um, you'll learn in the in my movie, Body Slam of Revenge of the Banana, uh, we, we dealt with some issues where we actually got shut down okay. over a period of time of a few years. And uh, uh, we really didn't pick up again until... 2015 2016 okay. that's when we we kind of started up again so and that's when you uh, changed to 321 battle that is correct okay in that off that's time right. did you just crave it were you just wanting and waiting for something to come back so you could perform again and compete yeah um in that time it, it was uh i i wanted i wanted i missed the rush i missed the roar of the crowd i missed um performing um i found some other things to do in that time uh in terms of stage performance uh i, I went back on my to my love of theater and uh kind of found a theatrical little gig that tidied me over for mm. the period of five years um and then uh, once the, the wrestling came calling it was like Okay, well, this has been fun. I have to go. <laughs> I'll see you later. Um, I'll see you later. It's been real. Like, keep in touch. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be able to st- – I'll stop by during the holidays and say hello. <laughs> right. Um, so I forgot to mention this, but I think we should go back because was your name always Eddie Van Glam when you were wrestling or was that a name that you brought back in your second – like this second bout of wrestling? So yeah, yeah, oh yeah. So, uh, oh, you've been doing your homework. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, Eddie is my uh, my my is a is a, my second name. Um, uh, my first wrestling name was Big Time Bill Bates. My, so yeah, Bill Bates is my legal name, and then Eddie Van Glam was a name I picked up during the the hiatus when we were off. Mm-hmm. Um, because I got into the world of burlesque. Okay. And uh, there's burlesque performers. They Some of them have really extravagant, beautiful names. And it's the real names, you know. Yeah. Like, I can't compete with a woman who's named Sidney Devereaux or Julie Mist. Right. Or anything like that. Um, and Bill Bates just 
doesn't have quite the glamour to it. Um, <laughs> it didn't fit in. No matter how many rhinestones you put on it, it just it just not Oh my gosh. So I I wanted to come up with a stage name and there is a professional wrestler who um I always loved his name and it was Rob Van Dam. Mm-hmm. I just love the name Van Dam. Like it's such a cool badass name. Rob Van Dam. You know that guy is gonna be something special when you see him. Jean Claude Van Dam. Like that's a kick ass name. So I just loved the name Van Dam. I wanted to use something like it. So I was sitting around and just kind of doing a wordplay, sitting there going Van Slam, Van, just kind of going down the mm-hmm. alphabet, like Van Bam, Van Camp, Van. And then I came to Van Glam, and I said Glam. Glam's a, Glam's a burlesque term. Mm-hmm. Van Glam. I like that. And um, – Originally, I was going to kind of go with like like it being like Van Morrison or Van okay. Halen. Yeah. And it, it just felt like it was missing something. So talking with another performer, they're like, you need a first name. And I always loved my father's middle name, which is Edward. Uh, it means guardian. And I, I just loved how regal it sounded. Yeah, it so does. I, I, it has I, a feeling I, I, about it. Yeah, so I took Ed, I said Edward Van Glam, Eddie Van Glam, and I said Eddie Van Glam. My son looked at me, and goes, "That's your name," mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I I kept it. And uh, when wrestling came calling, uh, it was one of those things where I, I showed up as Bill Bates, and uh, there's a term in wrestling called a face turn. I was a heel at the time; I was a bad guy. Okay, and I was getting I was having this moment where I was becoming a good guy. And it was a face turn, and ah. we did it a way where I where I said, you know, my con- you know, it's like you own the name Big Time Bill Bates, but the contract reads this: it says Eddie Van Glam, you have no power over me. And everybody goes, yeah, he's a good guy now, and he's not being controlled by this big corporate douchebag. So oh my that's gosh. how I Eddie Van Glam, and, I, and it just stuck. Yeah. I just kind of took my burlesque world, my wrestling world, and I just put them all together in one and brand it sort of thing that's awesome I love that and I love um just how all your different worlds collided right like wrestling and your family and your um performance and your dramatic and your burlesque career like everything in that one name that makes you feel like you're a combination of all those things yeah and it's like and I and I owe everything to wrestling for that um I started burlesque because of wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a wrestler knew a burlesque performer who got in touch, who we became friends. She told me to get into the burlesque community. I did so. I met a girl there one time. It was I, I actually so there's a school here in Seattle, the Academy of Burlesque, run by Miss Indigo Blue. Okay. And okay. I took classes there, and I had my my big class recital. I graduated, and the night I did my big graduation performance. A uh, woman walked up to me and she goes, I really loved your performance. Thank you so much. We became friends. Flash forward, she's now my wife, and we have a two-year-old son together. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. So, so, because, <laughs> of, so because of wrestling, it has given me my life. Oh, and I how wouldn't cool. trade it for anything. Yeah, super cool. And, you know, then this is the start of, like, your new your, – your second wrestling career, right? And uh, three to one battle happens and it looks to me like you guys are on Twitch now. Is that true? We are on Twitch. Uh, it's twitch.tv backslash three to one battle. Uh, we're on, uh, we're on every two weeks live, cool. uh, 9 PM Pacific standard time. 
Awesome. And we have a whole backlog of shows. We've been on Twitch now for two years now, I think. Cool. Well, we're going to so. have to sh- share one of those um, Twitch links with the listeners so they can watch you perform. But they're going to have to look back for a little bit, right? Because um, Eddie Van Glam came in to a little bit of injury as of recently. So tell us, tell us how that happened and how that process has gone. Um, maybe just in its it, from from beginning on a physical side from beginning to maybe where you are now. Okay, so the, the, like uh, there's actually a, you can actually watch the injury happen. It Ooh, is on Twitch. Pass hard it is pass in the for library. me. <laughs> so it it is uh, is our December first 2017 show. I was wrestling a man by the name of Rook Kelly, and. Two minutes into the match, um, Rook went for a hip toss. I, I came running at him, and I he went for a hip toss, and I tried to reverse it by doing a front handspring. Oh, wow. Which is like I, I hooked his arm, and I jumped, and I flipped forward. Okay. And when I landed, my right leg, my, my right foot planted, and my right knee just buckled in. Ugh. And you could see in the video, I land, I grab my leg, and I drop. I yeah. can't stand up. And Rook continues to wrench my arm. The referee comes over, and I'm just like, as he's like wrenching my arm, it's one of these funny things because he's hurting my arm, and I'm grabbing my knee, and I can't decide which one I need to focus on first. Right. You're like, what's more important <laughs> here? Because, yeah, I, the moment I landed, I felt a jolt go, go up my thigh mm-hmm. and down into my calf. And a sharp pain behind my by on the on my inner knee, and um, I couldn't I couldn't figure out what happened, and uh, you know I never experienced a pain like that before. Yeah. So immediately I tried to get up, and I couldn't put any weight on it, um, and I could hear the referee the and like there's guys in the back the referees have headsets, and they could immediately see that something's very wrong because I'm limping and I can't stand up on my right leg mm-hmm. and they are telling they're telling the referee like end the match now like uh. you know tell 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 Eddie to, to to end this now and I refused to I was like no I'm fine I'm fine I was trying to be tough I'm like no I'm mm-hmm. fine like mm-hmm. he's like you're hurt I'm like no I'm okay and he goes I can see he's like I can tell you're not okay yeah and uh about I went for another five minutes, and they and I still would ref, wouldn't refuse. I kept trying to fight, so immediately they sent someone to the ring and ended the match because I I was being stubborn. Why do you think Why do you think <laughs> no, you I, were like that? Um, you know, it was a matter of pride. It was a matter of um, I was scared, yeah, and I didn't want I didn't want to believe that this was serious i mm. felt like maybe I, maybe i just tweaked maybe yeah. i just tweaked my knee maybe i just twisted it you know yeah. i don't i don't get serious injuries like it was just a, like like i landed like you know sprains happen twists happen like meh, no big deal right and um but i knew something was very wrong but i didn't want to admit it to myself yeah because then it would be real and, right yeah and i uh i uh I got to the backstage and there was an EMT there and she, she even looked at my knee and she's just like, yeah, I think you just sprained it. You should be fine. Like there was no swelling. There was no bruising. 
you know, a bone wasn't sticking out, you know, but oh, it hurt and I couldn't stand up. Yeah. And, um, unfortunately, like I had a weekend full of shows, like that was Friday night. I had another show on Saturday and another show on Sunday and I had to cancel them. Like I, there was, I knew that I wouldn't be able to do them. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, for me that, that was hard because, uh, as I've mentioned, I have a two-year-old son. During the week, I am a stay-at-home father. Right. During the weekends, I I put on the spandex and I go fight for diaper money. You know, oh, yeah, <laughs> like that. That's 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 the income. That's what I provide to my family. I, mm-hmm. I watch my son, and then I bring in financial income on the weekends. And I had to stop. Um, so that's tough. I uh, I I I just told the producers of the show that like hey let me just ice it let me see how i'm doing um we had a big show coming up in april very big show um at showbox the showbox is a legendary venue that has never really held wrestling before okay um uh you may have seen it was in the new i don't know if anyone listening uh knows that the showbox was in the news here in seattle recently where um, condo developers are trying to tear it down and, and put condos in its place. And the show box was known where grunge was born. That's where Pearl oh. Jam played. That's where Nirvana first got their start. That's uh-huh. where Soundgarden played. And so the show box in Seattle is iconic. That like for any musician artist, like you go to the show box. That is, that is our Madison square garden. That is, um, you know, yeah. Our, our it's staples big time. like this yeah it's the big time it's like exactly. a coveted place like you want to protect it absolutely you know like so much beautiful art and like emotions and memories are made here and they want to tear it down and make it condos and we three two one battle this rinky dink you know do-it-yourself promotion is now booked the show box in april and it was our first time and i have this thing with my knee and we're four months out and i was <sighs> like I did not want to say I was injured because I knew if I went to the doctor and he told me I was injured, I would not be able to wrestle on that show. Mm -hmm. And I was no way going to miss that show in April. Right. So So, did um, you go to the doctor? I did go to the doctor. How long did it take you to go? I, so, um, I waited till two weeks before the show in April. I went like April 1st. I waited four months um, I and, had been icing my knee. Uh, um, in terms of wrestling, I really wasn't wrestling all that much. I was doing a lot of, uh, you know, getting on the microphone and talking. I was doing a lot of like run-ins and just like pull-aparts and like fighting and feuding with somebody, building my match um, at the show box. Yeah. But I wasn't actually having any wrestling, and I wasn't running. Um, on on the flip side, uh, I was using a cane to get around. It was a really beautiful cane, and it became one of my props that I'm now known for in wrestling. So, oh, that's kind of cool. It, so yeah, I have I have this beautiful like <laughs> uh, stainless steel uh, cane that I, I I have now because of it, and it's it's just kind of part of the gimmick. <laughs> yeah. But um, I uh, I went I went to the doctor on April first, and. Uh, I was very, I was very blessed and lucky in regards of who I got. Um, my wife works for Swedish here in Seattle, Swedish hospitals. Okay. And she knows all the orthopedic surgeons and whatnot. And she got me in to see, uh, a doctor who is the surgeon for the Seahawks. Okay. 
and uh, you know he's a very very busy man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> many assume. different people, mm-hmm. and uh, she was able to get me squeezed in with him. You know, you're like, hey buddy, you owe me a, you know, can you do me a favor and look at my husband? <laughs> right. And uh, I remember going to see him, and he and he takes one look at my knee, and it's I had it was swollen and it had fluid in it, and I'm just kind of like t- asking like, please just let him like tied me over till april 21st like the show is april 20th i'm like just tied me over till april 21st and i'll do whatever you say yeah and uh he said he looked at me and he looked at my knee and he said and he he didn't even get order the mri yet he just looked at me and he goes you tore your acl and your mcl and your meniscus and i said no 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 way like i no like there's no way i tore all three uh-huh. and i remember he took his point he, his index finger and he says tell me something does it hurt when i touch here and he just touched the side of my knee and i howled mm. in pain and he goes you tore your acl and your mcl and your meniscus i'm sorry <sighs> wow and that's when like and i said yeah, but i have a big show in two weeks and he says i cannot in good conscience let you do that show do not wrestle it's like i know you i know it's a big deal but you know do not wrestle that show and like that moment like the concussive missile in between my ears went off and it was like like when you get bad news and you get your head stuck it's almost like getting your head stuck underwater and like ears can't pop right everything after that's just womp 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 and like tears are filling up in my eyes because my world's just gotten taken away like the moment I had been working for so hard for so many years, I'm being told you can't do it, mm-hmm. and uh, I was devast—I was devastated. I was devastated in that moment. Yeah, um, I can feel and, that. Like uh, I can I still knew, feel that from you know. It's a really hard I, thing I to knew, go through and to know that like you were not normal, but you were still living your life in those four months before that, and then right before to have like a total reversal you know yeah and like i was hoping for the best and i was hoping like because like the pain went away over like a period of a month i was like okay like i feel good like see like it's it's i didn't tear it i like it's not seriously injured it's like over time it's feeling better cool this is great like i feel good and then like two weeks like i actually had a match two weeks before and uh I, I did something as simple where I went to, to jump and I went to go jump and my right leg said no. And I felt <sighs> that shooting pain and I dropped. And that's when I was like, I have to see a doctor. Something's wrong. And I went mm. to the doctor and he revealed my worst fears. Yeah. And I knew it was serious. Um, as uh, just a uh, year, that was 2017, 2018, uh, about two, two years, three years prior. Um, in professional wrestling, there is a man, an athlete named Seth Rollins. Okay. He was okay. WWE champion. And in the late fall of 2015, he was having a match where he went to do something. He jumped, he landed, and his knee buckled just like mine. Huh. And MRI revealed that he tore his ACL, his MCL, and his meniscus. And uh, So like, you had he, watched his recovery? So yeah, uh, and we'll we'll get to my recovery, but um, he, he he actually had a documentary following his his journey, um, his rec- road to recovery, um, 
and it was probably one of the few things that got me through hmm. uh, the recovery process. Yeah. Because it's like I got to see everything he was going through. He was explaining everything that was happening to him uh, mentally as well as physically, and uh, you know, just seeing his journey. But uh, like I knew I was in for a rough road. Yeah. Uh, once the doctor said, "That's it." Yeah. So after and, that, uh, you you get the um, you schedule surgery. How how far out was surgery from that date? So from that date, uh, we had to plan for it because uh, you know my wife had to take off time from work mm-hmm. because uh, being a stay at home dad with uh, uh, a torn knee, I really can't do much. Right. So uh, she was going to need to take time off work so I could heal and she could take care of our son. Um, so we had to plan it out far in advance. My my surgery date ended up being June 7th of 2018. Um, to rewind a little bit, um, I don't recommend this. I went against doctor's orders, and we had our show at the Showbox on April 20th, 2018. And I used every type of athletic tape, KT tape, brace, and a knee pad. And I went out there and I wrestled for a good 15 minutes before the match ended. What? Uh, yeah, I went ahead and I did it anyway. Oh my gosh. My, How did it go? Hit list, uh, it went very well, which you can also find on Twitch. It's Battle Mania 2018. I had a match against the Black Sheep, Dave Turner. And if you look at him and you look at me, um, I'm basically the size of Dave's leg. Oh my gosh. <laughs> But, uh, like, uh, he, he's a true professional, and we, we went out there and we tore the house down. Yeah. And, um, like, honestly, you couldn't tell uh, that uh, I was injured at that time. Uh, I, I taped up my knee very well, and then uh, to kind of hide the injury, uh, it was my right leg that was injured, but uh, in the match, Dave went after my left leg. Uh. So as soon as he did that, I could start hobbling, and everyone thought I was selling. Mm. so that's how we hit it yeah that's really uh, smart of you guys are you looking back at that go ahead Mm. Uh, but yeah once that match happened i was like i'm out yeah until i'm until i'm cleared i'm out right but yeah there was no way i was gonna miss you know the first dance at the show box like for me that was super bowl that was wrestlemania Mm. that was the world cup like you know I, I worked all this time to get there and there was no way I was going to mess it. And <laughs> like, that was just straight up pride. And yeah. Arrogance. <laughs> yeah. But in hindsight, are you happy that you did it? I love the fact that I did it. Yeah. Was it smart? No, it was probably a really dumb decision, you know, but at that point, you know, uh, the way I looked at it was I'm already hurt. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Um, well, and you're, a gro- you know, you're a, an adult and you that was the decision that you decided to make in that moment and like you said you're not recommending that to other people but that was the decision that you felt like was the best thing in your life at that time yeah uh, you know for me it's the three to one uh crew you know we're, we're not like most uh wrestling promotions we're very much a family um we you know we're very much together it's not like just different people from different places all come together and have put on a show we are we are we're a unit yeah and for me in that in that moment in that show i was like my family needs me yeah and you know as much as i love my wife she knows like before before she came around like i had three two one yeah this is my family right 
Um, that's really cool. And I'm, I'm glad, you know, just hearing you talk about it and how much you wanted that leading up to it. Um, it's nice to know that you got to be a part of that and, and maybe too gave you a good sense of like what you were wanting to work for, to get back from, from this recovery, because it is daunting, right? You said you, surgery was in June and physically like we do these things all the time, right? Like we can get through the physical pain, but the mental side is the reason that I, I started this podcast. The reason I started the ACL club, it's, it's something that is not talked about. It's not something that is given, you're not given aid until, you know, really recently when I feel like I've uh, tried to start to really change the way that ACLs are treated. Um, there hasn't been that. So what was the recovery like for you uh, on the mental side? So on the mental side, it was, um, you know, like I knew I was in for a long road. I knew it was going to be painful. I knew I was in good hands based on my wife's connections with uh-huh. Swedish and Dr. Uh, McAdam. Uh-huh. But I, uh, I, was, I, didn't, I wasn't aware of the mental side, and it really didn't come to me till honestly after the pain blocker and the uh pain meds wore off (laughs) yeah like because for me uh like i had friends who came to visit me those first couple days and check in with me Mm -hmm. but then after that like the the phone calls and the texts stopped um the visits didn't happen anymore and, you know, and I was just stuck on the couch. I really couldn't go anywhere. Right. Um, you know, and uh, I, uh, and like, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm married with a child, you know, but like all of a sudden, like loneliness kicked in hmm. real fast. Yeah. And I, uh, I uh, remember, um, like, honestly, that's how I found the podcast. I, I, I found the ACL club and I found your podcast was I was sitting on the couch and like, you know, it's it's just I'm just kind of there. I was in I was in a separate room with the child gate up because I didn't want my kid climbing all over me while I'm trying to heal in these like first couple weeks. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's just me and a Wi-Fi connection and my iPad, and I just start you know looking up ACL stuff, and uh, that's how I came across the ACL club. And uh, you know, like that's when I I, I kind of saw like you know. Like I'm alone, but I'm not alone because there's other people out there who, uh, you know, who, who have experienced this. Right. And um, it was uh, very jarring, and I knew that it wasn't anything personal on my friend's behalf. Um, you know, life went on for them. Like yeah. they they're not thinking about the injury because it's not happening to them. It's not in their face. I'm I'm at home. You know, it's not like they're going to go to the show and see me there. Right. You know, like, but it, you know, I'm stuck at home. They're off doing their thing. I can't be mad at them for that, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, it got lonely real fast when all of a sudden, you know, my, my daily routine of seeing the same people all the time stop. For them, life goes on. Yeah. And for me, it has to stop. How and, did, uh, how'd you find reprieve in that? How'd you find, um, what did you find as an outlet or what got you through that? So there was a, there was a couple things that, so for like the first two weeks, you know, it was very, uh, I want to say, I, I take that back. Uh, 
first three to four weeks uh, was really tough. Uh, you know, being at home, uh, you know, like there was that first couple of days where I had friends come visit and I appreciate them so much for it. But then like, it was just me and the internet trying to find answers to this and like, what do I do? And, you know, it, you know, and then like finding the, the ECL club and like the Facebook group and, and like being able to talk to people and like not feeling so much alone that helped me through, I want to say the first three weeks. Mm-hmm. And then, um, finally I kind of got the okay to leave the house. Yeah. And the first thing I did was, uh, I had a friend from three, two, one pick me up and they drove me to the show. You know, I'm in the big leg brace and I got my crutches and whatnot. And they, they drove me to the show. And for me, uh, just being there at the show, uh, they put me in the, like we have a monitor in the back with a screen that mm-hmm. has a camera on the ring. Yeah. And I just got to sit in the locker room with everybody and yeah. I got to watch the show there and I got to talk to people and, you know, they all came up and they said, you know, asking me how I'm doing, but it wasn't so much. And I realized in that moment, like it wasn't so much that I missed wrestling. It's I missed these people. Yeah. I missed this crew. I missed this family. And, um, uh, it For became sure. like I and, and when I came home, you know, like my wife, bless her, bless her heart, she came downstairs, you know, to let me in and, you know, help me to the couch and she, she asked me how I went and I just started gabbing like I just had a match, like I was just like, like I was just my adrenaline was going, I was just happy as a clam, I wouldn't shut up and she's like. That's great, babe. It's two o'clock in the morning. I want to go back to bed. <laughs> you know, like she just let me go. But yeah. like, I realized in that moment, like as much as it, like I, I even got angry during those first three weeks. I was angry at wrestling. I was angry at my body for quitting on me and whatnot. And like I didn't, I, I stopped. I actually stopped watching wrestling on TV. I wasn't getting involved with it. I didn't, I, you know, I turned it, turned it off my DVR. Mm-hmm. I just didn't want to be around it because I was just reminded, like, this yeah, is what it's painful. Is. Like, it hurts. This sucks. Yeah. Like, it, like, I'm looking at my knee. I'm like, oh, you know, I wanted to blame somebody. And so I blamed wrestling, you know, and I blamed myself yeah. for allowing it to happen. Yeah. You know, even though it was an accident, there was no way I could tell that it was going to happen. I, it was a move that I had done hundreds of times. Mm-hmm. And, one time I did it, I told my ACL. Yeah. And uh, and all those things that you're talking about, Bill, are things that I think a lot of people listening to this will have, like, are relating to or have, like, have had that same experience. It's it's lonely and there's a grieving process. And that grieving process includes being really mad and being angry and being upset and crying and um, then starting to find healing and then go, wanting to go back and being connected with your community again. So there's all these processes within a grieving process that are very similar to this because you lose something that you love and you care for. And um, it's so, it, it is really hard. And one of the things that I wanted to have with the process that we created, the masterclass on the emotional side is that sense of like these feelings that you have are, are valid and they're real. And this is why this is what's going on, um, from a chemical standpoint in your brain and why, when you get injured, why you feel these things, because, um, you know, you don't have that, that dopamine high you get when you are, 
wrestling or playing soccer or whatever and then your body craves that and then you go through a withdrawal and you go through the grieving process and um so we really wanted to address that because we know that that is so real and a lot of people don't it's not talked about yeah um it 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 came as a shock to me like it, it, like it, it was very much like uh, like because you you doubt yourself it, it, you 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 go from standing to feeling strong to like you know you have to rely on others to help you stand up and you know help you know there's my wife had to like help take me to the shower and put a mm-hmm. lawn chair in there and mm-hmm. like you know I just remember having those moments just lit, sitting in the shower and just crying because I just felt so pathetic yeah you know. And I knew it Me was too. temporary, but in that moment, it just—it was—it was just so humbling. Mm, humbling, you know. I think this is one of the most humbling processes. Like the recovery journey is—you find a lot of humility, and you also understand like how connected we are. You know, like how much we do need each other. Like, yeah, we don't always need our wife or our husband or our boyfriend or girlfriend or family to help us get in and out of the shower but we rely on them to be a part of our life and support us and um, we rely on our friends to be there for us and when they're not when they forget that we got injured it's painful you know when we're walking again and they still think then they think we're back to normal and we're so far from normal it's painful and um you know, that's an education yeah. process for them too, right? Like we're learning all these things as we're going through it. But I think it also is like part of it is up to us as the athletes that are going through the recovery is saying like, hey, like I, I'm i lonely or I, I really would love to like see a friend. Would you mind coming over? You know, and like putting ourselves out there because even though we're injured, they don't know how to respond either. Right. And uh, I remember, you know, and it was, it was hard to like describe what I was going through to other people. Like I remember mm-hmm. someone, one of my friends at the show, he he like saw me. He's like, "How are you? How are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm doing good." And he got, you know, and I'm showing him the the surgery scar and everything. And he uh, he goes, "You know, what's your recovery time like?" And I was like, "Well, oh, they're looking at like seven to nine months." And he's like, oh, that'll be over before you know it. And, like, my immediate reaction was, like, kiss my ass. Yeah, like, <laughs> like how do you like, know? Like, I, was, I was like, I was like, this last three weeks have been the longest of my life. Yeah. This is not moving quickly. Yeah. How dare you? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you have no idea what this is like. Mm-hmm. Oh, it'll be over before you know it. No, it won't. <laughs> yeah. How you are know, you like, feeling? Starting... Oh, go ahead. Uh, it's like it's like I'm starting all over again, and uh, but it was having to get over not get over but get through the anger mm-hmm. and find not necessarily a new purpose but like an alternative road to where I want to go in terms of healing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, are we going to talk about we're going to talk about recovery process, right? Yeah, because I I actually I actually had my own kind of thing that I did that helped me through recovery. Yeah, shoot, go ahead. This show, so like I I think this can work with uh, 
anyone who's like a soccer, uh, you know, a soccer player or whatnot, especially anyone who's involved with a team, uh-huh. uh, um, because you know we're we're not alone in this injury. Um, we do have a team of people who are there to take care of us physically. Yeah. Finding the, the the emotional and emotional support is the difficult side because it's hard to find someone to relate to. Yeah. Um, I learned in that first moment where I went to the show and I just sat in the back that for my mental health, I needed to be around my family. I needed to be around that locker room Mm -hmm. as much as I did not like being around wrestling because I was angry at it. I needed to be around these people. Yeah. And so as time went on, I, I knew I couldn't wrestle, mm-hmm. but I wanted to still be involved. And I, I think that anyone who uh, has a team, like, you know, I would say find a way to still be involved, whether it's helping with, if you, you can maybe help with the coaching or find some other, uh, you know, or help with, you know, concessions. I was the ticket taker yeah. at our show. Okay. You know, I was a well, I was a well-known performer and the doors open and there I am standing at the at the front door. I'm the first person they walked in and I took took tickets as they walked in and it like it brightened every, it like everybody was so happy to see me. Everyone's asking how I'm doing. I bet. You know, but like I, I, I just I, I was involved and the fans are very much a part of three two one and so like to be able to still be involved in some way to help with the show um meant everything and i think that was a big part of my recovery oh um, absolutely a mental health side because for two hours while i'm um, i'm sitting there taking tickets i'm not thinking about my knee right i'm just trying to make sure that something else is going on well we all crave connection right like we yeah. as human beings are are not meant to do this life by ourselves that's why when something happens we like this or like anything any you know look at all the support groups that exist for every different kind of injury or disease or whatever is because you want to find people that you can connect with and you have that with the acl club but also first and foremost you have that with the the team or the organization or the community that you came from before you joined the acl club right and so to deprive yourself of that connection you know those are the moments that we want right we want the locker room we want the laughs we don't want to feel like we're missing out on all those you know inside jokes that they're going to have without us so even just you're so right i think that is wonderful advice yeah it's like you know i i can only you know whether it's you know you know, being the, the water person or like mm-hmm. maybe like, I also found other things to do within the show that I had never learned about before. Exactly. Like I learned about, you know, I got to work with the sound guy. I got to learn how the show works and how it operated. Um, at one point I got to run the bar. It was fantastic. <laughs> I had so much fun doing that. Like, I bet you did. Like, I, <laughs> <laughs> the tips were great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, that's great. But you know, like I just like, I got involved with the show yeah. and I got involved with the team and like just to help, help run, make the show go. Mm-hmm. Like it gave you it, your it, mojo it, back it, a little bit. It gave me my mojo back and it got me excited Yeah, because then uh, as I'm feeling better and I'm getting confidence and I'm getting strength back, 
you know, like, and my, my confidence is returning and I'm, and I'm in a good place mentally now as I'm still helping. And I see the clock, like it's ticking down, like, okay, like I'm feeling good. I'm feeling positive mm-hmm. and I'm not in this dark place anymore. Cause it's so easy to get depressed. Oh man. Right. Um, it is. It's, it's easy. Cause our brain thinks negative first. So it takes hard work to stay in that, um, get into the positive mindset and to stay in there and, um, you know, now it's, uh, it's February, tomorrow's February, you know, you're six months since that injury. How are you feeling today and how, how have things gone? So things are, things are doing well. Um, so yeah, uh, I, as uh, time went on, uh, my, my doctors, uh, were very pleased in terms of my recovery. Um, I was doing physical therapy, um, with a trainer about three times a week. Um, and on top of that, uh, I was actually going to the gym every day. Mm-hmm. Um, starting when, so when I got cleared to go to physical therapy, um, my therapist gave me homework and says, I need you to do these exercises every single day. Mm-hmm. And after four weeks after surgery, my wife had to go back to work and I was, stuck at home with my two-year-old son and uh, he was one and a half at the time and anyone who has a one and a half year old or a toddler knows that they don't sit still (laughs) and I felt it wasn't fair to him to have me sit at home with him I mean during that time I wanted to stay still I didn't want to move but it wasn't fair to him he's a he's he's a child he deserves to go run and play and have fun um, I'm not necessarily fun at that time. So when my therapist gave me my homework, so to speak, um, I would put my son in his car seat and I would drive. My, my gym was two blocks down the road, <laughs> mm-hmm. two blocks down the road. And I drove down and I would take him and there was a, there was a, uh, a kid's club, uh, toddler, uh, daycare. Yeah. And so I dropped him off and I would then go lay on a mat for however long it took, you know, I would take at least an hour because I felt that he deserved an hour of social time and running around and having fun with other kids. And, uh, every day, um, like he, he, I, I owe my recovery uh, at least to how strong I got because of him, because he forced me to go to the gym every single mm. day and do my physical therapy. That's awesome. I get to sat on the couch and watched, you know, binged on Netflix and and felt sorry for myself but because of him I was like it's not fair to you that you know I'm it's like you shouldn't suffer because I I got hurt and so he I went to the gym every day because of him and I did my physical therapy every day because of him and as a result um I recovered so like yeah my surgery was June 7th my surgeon cleared me from his care on December 5th Mm. that's awesome and I was able to return to training in November, just like a couple weeks prior to him releasing me. Wow. How so, did how did that first training go? It was rough. <laughs> it was rough. Um, best way to describe it, um, I don't know uh, what it's like for other athletes, but for me, the best way to describe that first day back was like wearing a new pair of shoes where my it, I know the movements, but it feels like I'm in a new body. Mm-hmm. 
and like it's like a I baby giraffe things, but, you're like i should right. know how to walk like, I, but i don't know how to right like we I, I they're like okay give me a forward roll and i go for a forward roll and i can't get to my feet <laughs> I just yeah like, boom right back and i fell back on my butt and i kind of looked at him like well that doesn't happen <laughs> like right. well that's a new experience like when did what <laughs> and uh uh, he's an incredible trainer. Uh, he he worked with me. He kicked my tail, getting me prepped and uh, trained. And like I went to practice. At first, I couldn't get through the warm up. Um, oh my goodness! You know, we had a warm up where we do 300 squats and then 20 push ups, and I'd get to about 30 to 50 squats, and then my leg would be like, you know, I'm good. Like, <laughs> you need to stop now. Yeah, you know my 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 meniscus was just like no, we're we're not doing fifty one. But it's still progress, right? When you return to sport, we feel like we just should be back to where we ended, but we have to realize like it's it, it every day when before you know we were always learning new things too and always uh, being challenged, and it's just a different challenge. Right, and uh, by I want to say by the end of December, I was finally having practices where I wasn't mad at myself at the end of it. Good. Like I was confident. Like, yeah. I was like, this was a good practice. I, good. I made it through my warm up. I did this. I, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I didn't screw my footing up here. I, yeah. you know, I was able to go through this and I didn't experience any knee pain. Like, good. like today was a good day. Like, what's then, your favorite you know, move as a wrestler? My favorite move. Yeah. Uh, so I have a very unique skill set in terms of wrestling that I'm known for here in Seattle. Uh, my favorite move is probably the move that makes the fans the happiest, and it's uh, it's very unconventional. That's <laughs> I'm okay. A little embarrassed to say it out loud, but uh, it's uh, I do a flying hip attack. Oh my gosh! Essentially, what it is, um, my opponent comes running at me. And I jump as high as I can in the air, and I turn, and I take my butt, and I hit him in the face with it. Oh, my gosh. That is amazing. And, and the fans, when I hit when I hit it, the fans, there's something magical and strange and weird about it when I do it because fans will jump up. Oh. And there's something about it when 300 people all scream the words, butt stuff. <laughs> Butts. You know what I was going to say is people love it because butts are funny and like people just think that's so funny, you know? And um, yeah, and my whole stick in 321 is I'm the solid steel butt rocker of the Pacific Northwest. Oh. So my, my question, I bring that up because I want to know have you done a, a butt stuff? What was the actual move called? The hip thrust? It, 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 so, yeah, so the fans have kind of named it for me. It's called butt stuff. Yeah. Which explaining it to other people in the locker room is really weird, especially if they've never been to three, two, one battle before. Right. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a flying hip attack. So have you been able to do that since your injury? Yes. And, uh, I will be happy to say that, uh, see here, uh, what's today. Uh, I don't know when this recording's going out, but, uh, on January 25th of, la- of January, uh, January 25th, mm-hmm. um, I actually made my return to 321 and on Twitch and whatnot. And uh, right off the bat, like, I came out to the ring, 
and there was a, like a it was just full of guys and I'm there and I'm in my spandex and the audience is just like shocked that I'm there and this guy looked to hit me and I ducked he turned around and butt stuff but and stuff. next you know everyone started everyone started running at me and next thing you know the announcers and everyone are just going butt stuff butt stuff butt stuff butt stuff because <laughs> like I just started jumping up in the air and just started hitting everybody and each time I hit them the crowd got louder and it like as soon as it was over like that moment was over and I just kind of like let it cook and let the audience kind of drink it in uh it was the best feeling in the world as good as you remembered uh yeah uh or better so it was it was better than i expected um i was terrified that the audience wouldn't care i thought the audience may not remember me um i had a myriad of emotions like seconds before i walked out um terrified that i might get injured again um i had moments where i was terrified that i might get injured just getting to the ring you know uh or like I was gonna like something was gonna happen to my other me now like mm-hmm. uh, just all worst case scenarios were going through my mind just as my music hit and uh, I walked out I had a job to do and I did it and uh, the best part for me was uh, after the match I ended up winning the match mm-hmm. and I got to sit in the middle of the ring as three hundred people sang my theme song. And welcomed me back, and uh, I cried. I, I was just happy. I couldn't. Good. I couldn't believe the moment. I just. I just. I. I was. I was. I was. Uh, I don't want to describe it other than I. I just kind of stripped myself down in front of them. I was naked and like not physically, but like emotionally. Yeah. Like vulnerable. You were vulnerable, I, I, and those are the vulnerable. moments when you feel yeah. like the most connected is when we're vulnerable. So. And uh, I, I, I got to, and I just had in that moment. Because the fans knew what, like, because yeah. somebody had, had messaged you. me on Facebook and social media, like, "How are you? How's your knee?" Um, I I did something, uh, like out of the blue. Um, in that moment, as they're singing, I was on one knee and my right knee was up, and I looked down at my knee pad and I said, "You know what? It, let's do this." And I pulled down my knee pad and I took off my protective brace. And I just knelt there and I showed my scar to the Twitch audience and to the, the battalion, as they're called. They're called the 321 Battalion. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of, I and it like presented like, the, you know, I, here I am. Yeah. And here, 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 here's, here's me. Well, you know and, how, uh, you know how this thing goes. You said you've listened to some podcasts of mine before. Uh, so I want to know that, you know, what did that mean to you what did showing your scars and what does show your scars mean to you for me uh show my scars um it's uh the scar represents a journey and it's and uh uh, i i uh i say it's a long road home i will get home eventually but um the, the, the scar for me is a representative uh, represents the road I've taken. It's, it's a map. Um, I was down now I'm up. Um, I am stronger now. And, uh, and, uh, it's again, vulnerability being able to, uh, 
be yourself in front of another person, not having to hide behind anything. Um, yeah, it's, it's being visible. And, um, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with showing that, um, don't, you shouldn't hide, um, you know, much like in this whole recovery, the road to recovery, you shouldn't hide. You should go out, you should reach out and be with people. So that's awesome, Bill. And, I love you know, that. In the end, in the end, uh, you know, you're a winner. You yeah, know? for sure. That's great. I love that. What a, what a good, um, definition of that from you. And, you know, I, it, it's really cool. One of the cool things about running this company and having this podcast is I get to learn so many things about so many different sports that I didn't have the privilege of playing or, you know, participating in. And you know what it makes me realize is just how much we have in common, um, not only in this journey, but in who we are as people and the ambitions that we have and the goals that we set. Um, so I am just want to thank you so much for sharing your story with us and sharing your strength with so many people. And, um, I want you and Eddie Van Glam to know that they're doing a good job. And um, we're so thankful for you to share your story with us. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for, for creating this, this club for people like me um, who are going through recovery and like, don't really know where to go and know that they're, you know, even though we are alone, they're, we're not there. They're, we are out there. And, um, we, we, we only us we can understand what we've been through mm-hmm. because we've each been through it and uh knowing that we're not alone i think is is the most important thing and we're scarred brothers and sisters point. right right yeah absolutely um i i i i've labeled my scar my battle scar my yeah. three to one battle scar yeah and uh you know uh scars tell a story and uh it uh it's 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 my friend now it's it's a part of me yeah, i love it so awesome well thank you so much thank you I hope when Bill talks there and when you guys hear from him and about Eddie Van Glam and all of that, you can get that same feeling that I did about we're all so much more connected than we think, right? It doesn't matter what sport we played or how we got injured, but it's the things that happen in the recovery and how we overcome the mental and the physical obstacles that help us feel that connection even deeper. It's the vulnerability. It's the empathy and... I love that at the end is when he's saying, you don't know it unless you've been through it. And that's the cool thing about our scars, right? It connects us all to this pain and this hurt that we've walked through. And then we can acknowledge that not only in ourselves, but in other people. I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast. Again, we love hearing from you. So make sure you rate and review and subscribe to the podcast on whatever form that you're listening to, SoundCloud, iTunes. We're on Spotify now, so you can listen to us there. And yeah, we love hearing your feedback. You could be our next person that we hear in our podcast reviews. So make sure you do that. It just takes about a minute and it helps us get connected to so many more people. So I hope that's what we're all here for is that connection and uh, we can all do our little part in that small way. 
Another thing we can do is we can go out there wherever our day, our week, uh, our month may take us, but we can go out and we can show our scars with pride. Go do that today, you guys. Proud of you and keep up the good work.